Hello, and welcome to Aesthesia, untold tales of medicine. Join us as we explore what makes us human through stories from the world of healthcare. Some information may have been changed to protect patient privacy, and all stories are the views of the storyteller and do not reflect the views of any institution or employer. Today, third-year medical student Clayton Corson shares some of his experiences from his time at the county hospital and the trouble he had considering his outcomes versus his patients. So at the time in my life when I was rotating at the county hospital, uh, it was kind of an interesting time just because, you know, we were coming fresh off of getting our board scores back, kind of evaluating what different specialties, kind of where your interests align. And, you know, I was hearing a lot of advice from, from mentors, from friends, from family, you know, people have known me for years and years and, you know, seeing all the work that it takes to get into medical school and, you know, become a third year. And a lot of the advice at this point, you know, because uh, fortunately, we are very privileged and we're very fortunate to have just the opportunities that we have. And the kind of the common theme, you know, whether it's from deans, whether it's from, like I said, friends and family, the common theme is really that, you know, don't like, yeah, you know, you have some tough decisions and, but it'll work out. Everything, everything will work out. Everything will happen for a reason. Like, don't worry so much. It'll all come together. It all, it'll all come together. And, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because I can recall something I really started thinking about pretty um, seriously was, you know, maybe the next day or the next week I was rotating at Maricopa County. And for those who haven't rotated there yet, I mean, the county hospital, the best way I can describe it is that the patients are, their disease state is so much more advanced. I mean, you know, if you're at a private practice clinic or something, you know, in Scottsdale, I mean, someone has diabetes, it's, it, you know, it's probably not going to progress to end-stage renal disease, um, you know, but when you go to Maricopa, I, I can't tell you how many patients I saw who had end-stage renal disease and were young, you know, um, and I can think of a couple patients in particular. One man, he was 35 years old, diabetes, bilateral below-the-knee amputations, needed dialysis. I mean, just really, really bad circumstances, not to mention he had no friends, no family. And honestly, he, he pro, you know, his life expectancy is probably not more than five years. And I can think of another patient too, who was in a similar circumstance and she was 29 and had lupus nephritis, you know, an auto autoimmune condition. And I was really, it was interesting to kind of be surrounded by all this advice of don't worry, everything's going to work out for a reason and everything kind of comes together. Everything happens the way it should. And here I am looking at this guy who has no friends, no family. I believe his wife moved down to Mexico with his daughter, wasn't going to see them again. And he was telling me that he doesn't want to go home because he's just going to sit around all day and no one's going to be able to help him into his bed from his wheelchair, nobody to even talk to. And I, I just got to thinking, what would this man say if he heard some of the similar advice that I just heard? Don't worry, you know, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. 
everything happens for a reason. And I thought this, you know, he probably want to punch me in the mouth. I mean, so it really got me to thinking just, I mean, the reality is that to relate to some of these patients, it is so far different from our world that we literally can't even comprehend it. I mean, we don't have to worry about our next meal. We don't have to worry about having uh, clothes or a bed to sleep on. And so the big question I, I really had was, what is the best way to relate to these patients? How can we better empathize with them? And also, how can I reconcile this within myself? You know, we get to this point where we've worked hard, we've volunteered, we've kind of gotten to this level, we've worked hard for so many years just to finally be able to do something to really make an effect on these people who are in less fortunate circumstances. And we're kind of at this point, and the reality is, as much as we want to, I mean, how much can we really do? And so that was something that I was really thinking about. How can we better empathize with these patients? And also, how can I reconcile that within myself? And what are kind of some of the tools to, I guess, be okay with that? Because there isn't as much to do as maybe we could like. And now an interview with Clayton Corson. Clayton, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being our first guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Clayton, just first off, what brought you into medicine? What interests you about medicine? Um, there are a lot of things that I went to chose to go into medicine. Actually, I was very certain that I was going to be a biomedical engineer. That was exactly what I wanted to do. So I had some family experiences with uh, health and disease, and that kind of piqued my curiosity in medicine. And then I went to college, and I was like, yep, going to do it. Golden ticket. I mean, highest job growth, being a biomedical engineer, go design like prosthesis and whatnot. And then I started the program, and I hated the engineering, but I actually really, really loved the medicine It is what I found. What would you say is different, or what was missing with that? Well, it literally – so. I mean, I am not an engineer and I'm really far removed from the field, but what I remember was that basically it has all the medical aspects to it, but you're just applying physics to it. So it's like, okay, we, you know, we can look at like this orthopedic prosthesis, but what's the Young's modulus? Like, what are the different factors? Like, how can we, how can we design it better from like a physics and forces applied thing versus like, I thought, I don't care about the physics. I was just like, that's cool. Like, what's the hip replacement look like? Or, um, yeah. So that is what got me originally into the field was just the kind of experience I had with my family. And then the more I learned about it, the more I just thought it would be a good fit. Um, and that's essentially what brought me here. You mean medicine or biomedical engineering? No, the medicine. So it definitely was the human, human, uh, humanistic side of things, working with people. Um, and it really did come down to just, just having, I think most of us have been touched by, uh, medicine and disease, unfortunately, you know, whether it's grandparents or family members. And that was a big motivator for me. I mean, I really felt strongly that I wanted to be the change that I hoped I could be or that I desired to be as a child growing up. And I saw that in doctors and um, I saw them as leaders of that change. And that's what I wanted to emulate. Um, so kind of down that road, what are you ho personally hoping to bring to medicine? Yeah. I mean, I think Definitely, as I become more entrenched in medicine, 
uh, leadership is definitely something that I'm really interested interested in, and also just being really good at what I do. I mean, being um, being kind of an expert in my field, and and being there for my patients, and just kind of being the guy. I, like I really, whatever field I go into, I just want to be the best possible doctor that I can be, and maybe bringing kind of original ideas, you know, in terms of leadership and team dynamics. That's something I've grown to be more passionate about in the recent years. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, you know, a lot of it just comes to being the doctor that I wish I could have been when I was younger for, you know, uh, my family. So did you, obviously when you hear about a good doctor, you hear about a doctor that has empathy. Did you now speaking about your, your patient experiences and seeing it firsthand and experiencing, um, what it means to be empathetic and the limits of empathy? I, did you expect it to be this difficult going into medicine like were you aware of or was has this kind of been like i don't know that you've known all along that it's going to be tough and now it's just experiencing it i don't think there's any way to really prepare for kind of the demand and the volume too i guess the volume was, was something that i would never have anticipated just because it's easy when you're younger and you have a family experience and to, to you, they're the only patient you have, right? And they're the only thing you care about. You know their life inside and out. You know every little detail about their disease. But being on the other side of things, the sheer volume of patients that we have is, is pretty astounding. And for as much as we want to really connect with them in, in that sense, that is something I, I was not expecting just because you have such a short amount of time with these people. And it's also there's just too too many of them to really be able to i guess be empathetic in the way that you would want so in that sense no i don't think i it's different it's far different than i would have thought but there there are also positives i think that it's and it's hard to say as a medical student too because we don't have the same demands that attendings have right, or residents right. we don't have to deal with documentation and placing orders not seriously i mean we do it for learning but we don't have to write 20 notes for every patient on the floor so I, I'd imagine that just adds to the burden even more as much as you want to be to, to really connect with your patients. I think, I mean, that, you know, detracts from it, but um, it is it is more of a challenge than I would have anticipated in short. So you were saying that like one of the harder parts about this is the fact that you you don't have that same full fledged experience that you may have had personally or with family in hospital through like medicine um, and that there's a higher quantity of patients too that kind of bring these experiences. How do you engage with like a patient's experience in the hospital or in medicine? Yeah. And th this is something that I think it's kind of what I've, I've thought about just with the topic that, that I discussed, but I, I think it comes down to the little moments. I think that, um, I think it comes down to the little moments in everyday day-to-day -day interactions. I mean, that is really, I think what our patients crave you know, a lot of times I'm sure they feel like a cog in a machine and physicians do too, unfortunately. I mean, we read about burnout articles all the time and that's a pretty common description. But um, I think just connecting them, connecting with them for even brief intervals, I think I wish there was more that we could do and I'm sure there is, but I also think that's kind of a primary, just taking the time, taking the time to truly sit down with someone regardless of how many patients you have. And it's easier to say when we're on this side of things, but you know, the real challenge would be is as an attending someone with seniority and 
really engaging with them in the way that we want, despite all the burden that is is placed, you know, on necessary or not. I mean, there's just a lot of bureaucracy nowadays. So, um, yeah. What did you say to that patient or were you able to connect with that, that patient that had the, the kidney failure? Um, if anything, you know, that's something that, I mean, I, I think I saw him for like four days. He was with us for maybe four or five days. And in retrospect, I wish I could have, I should have said more, you know, as medical students too, that we have more time. We do have more time than the residents and the attendings. I mean, I, I recall connecting with him and sitting down with him and she'd be like, you know, look, I'm really sorry, but it it was kind of frustrating. And that's sort of what brought this up is whenever I sit down to talk with him, it's kind of like hitting this brick wall. It's like, I want to be, we want to be optimists. I want to be an optimistic about his future, about his life, because of course I'm coming from this place of privilege and, you know, it's a totally different reality. And it just, it was, it was difficult. It was very difficult. Um, and it's something that I wish I could have maybe done better and certainly can't hope to do in the future. But yeah, I mean, that was definitely something that um, was sort of frustrating. And I think it all it just comes down to, you know, we want to be optimists and we want to say, look, it's going to get better. Things are going to be okay. And it's hard to say that to someone who's in such dire circumstances. Yeah, it seems like in kind of our culture in the in the US and especially within medicine, we're kind of always geared to think of like, what change can we make? What can we do to make this better? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard when you have someone who kind of has this terminal illness in front of you who, you know, better is not an option anymore. Right. Um, how do you think you go about learning to, to like sit with that, to cope with that or have you, or what is that struggle like for you right now? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it comes down to the balance of, of detachment versus being engaged. You know, as much as we want to, as much as we want to really just put our heart and soul into every single patient, I don't think it's realistic to be able to do that as much as it sounds nice. And we, and we really want to be there for them on that level. I think it would just, it's not practical. It's just emotionally draining. Um, and it, it detracts from your ability to take care of other patients. So I think a good physician, you know, we are doing a job as much as it it is a, it's our calling it's our lifestyle. But at the end of the day, in order to effectively do our job, we need to be, have some sort of detachment. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, doctors shouldn't be seriously treating their family members because the emotional level is there and that can, you know, compromise objective thinking and, um, so I think having a healthy sense of detachment, but also not becoming so attached to where you just are jaded and don't care at all. So that's definitely a balance that we all are going to have to figure out. And I mean, it's a really important one too. And a lot of it comes down to your workflow and where you work and what type of practice you work in and what are the other demands that are placed on you inside of work and outside of work? I mean, all those things kind of feed into your ability to empathize uh, with patients. Where do you draw the line in uh, reflecting about um, patients that you've interacted with? Like at what point are you like, okay, I just need to move on versus I haven't like just brushing it off completely and, you know, not thinking about it at all. Do you mean like processing patients who just, are in more difficult circumstances or what do you mean? Yeah, I guess? T- yeah, exactly. Like, um, 
you see a patient and you do everything you can, but you know they come out of it with still chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really easy to think about, oh, I kind of wonder where that patient's going to go or what's going to happen to them. Do you think that's beneficial in the reflection process? Or is it this putting up these walls of professionalism? Is that it just inappropriate at a certain point to keep thinking about certain patients? I don't think it's inappropriate. I mean, I think it's healthy. I think we want to have that reflection because, of course, you know, we want to be able to refine ourselves for how to deal with future interactions. Now, in terms of where to draw the line, I mean, you know, I think that's kind of each person's own individual gauge on how much they can they can handle. But I think, you know, there are definitely warning signs when it kind of interferes with your emotional ability just on a day-to-day basis if you're becoming too involved or if you know if it feels too hopeless um but I, I do think it's healthy I think reflection is is very healthy I just think that it needs to be balanced with practicality I guess and kind of engaging that in in your in your daily life you know you want to be reflective you want to look back on your career and think of you know they always talk about the art of medicine and this is really kind of where it it's, this is where the art of medicine lives is in your reflection and the humanity aspect. Um, so as in life with a lot of things, it's a lot of balancing and finding the happy medium. It's a challenge for sure. So going back to that, that patient and, and you were saying, oh, I wish I could have said more or done more. With more reflection, do you think there's and any way of comforting a patient without making guarantees? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think for someone like that who has minimal social social interaction, I think it's as simple as just taking the time and sitting with him and talking with him, mm. you know, uh, just spending the time maybe watching some TV with him. or Those are the types of interactions that people crave. And I think everyone does to some extent, even the – super busy CEO who's working himself to death or the patient that I described or anyone, I think we all kind of thrive off of um, those little interactions in every day that that is where the, the money is. I think that's where you can do the most, even if it doesn't feel like it's a lot, it, it can, those meaningful things, those are what the patient remembers. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. I think that, that the at least when I think about for myself when I say don't worry it's going to be all right it's kind of a a way for me to get out of kind of engaging mentally with Mm. with what the person who's talking is dealing with and so like I mean that's like what you said most people want someone who will just engage with them Mm -hmm. doesn't don't necessarily need a perfect answer for everything but being willing to say that sucks exactly (laughs) exactly and still be there to just to do all the other like things that are kind of awkward for us who are Mm -hmm. And just to feel like validated or like, yes, I am a human and I am going through some very terrible things. And I think a lot of people, especially in the lower socioeconomic status, they are dismissed. You know, they I mean, even. Yeah, I mean, look at homeless people. And I mean, a lot of the patients at the county hospital are homeless people like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what percentage, but certainly a high percent. And they're kind of dismissed and they're they're there's, you know from society and so just having that interaction and having a min, uh, an exchange even if it feels like we're not maybe futile to us it's it makes a difference i mean you 
and it's it can be hard to realize that, but I do think that um, that is true. Um, so now that you've kind of come through on this this perspective of that phrase, like "Don't worry, it's going to be all right." Um, how how does that change how you look at it when people tell you that maybe about your career choice or about your things that are happening to you in life? Well, it just makes me feel extremely fortunate. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, we are very, very, very lucky to be in medicine despite, you know, all the doomsdayers out there saying that doctors are burning out. There's, you know, Medicare for all is going to make us all poor or what what have you. I mean, that's pretty dramatic. But um, I think just, just a sense of gratitude and, and appreciative of kind of the position that we're in. And, yeah, just also finding ways to, I guess it kind of opens my eyes, like, working at the hospital, like that's not the only way to really give back to these people. And, you know, I certainly have aspirations, I think for, I mean, I think every physician should become a leader in their community and, and take the community initiatives and, um, really do things that are good for the community because at the end of the day, that's the type of stuff. And it doesn't sound practical. I'm sure if any attendings were to hear this, it'd be like, well, I have no time or I have no, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, I think like it's physicians are leaders and to be able to, whether it's set up community programs or just take a little bit of extra time, you know, or maybe advocate for certain policies or what have you. But, um, I think it's, it makes me appreciative now, but also have the foresight to be like, look, there are other things I can do outside of the hospital that can certainly make an impact. And that, probably are things that we haven't even I would never have even heard of at this point so I, I think in reflection and for uh, future thinking too it's been it's been good I think the first step for a lot of uh, these processes of, of change or of growing up I guess is is being aware you know that really is awareness is kind of the first step no <laughs> Clayton, what was one piece of advice you'd pass on to someone? It'll all be okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. We've learned nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, one piece of advice. I, I think that, I don't know, I hate to quote Jocko Willink here, but, you know, like just being more disciplined, just like being more intentional with your time. On, on all fronts, whether it's your physical fitness, whether it's your mindfulness, like scheduling in the time for things that you that are really necessary, even though if you don't feel like you have it and, you know, trying to get as much sleep as you can. Just just self-care. I mean, that's that's really important. And I think prioritizing that over success, perhaps, or like the level of success that you want, obviously, you know, don't do anything that will jeopardize your future. But... Yeah, prioritize self-care, prioritize having discipline, and just trying your best to adhere to that. Because I do think it it was a game changer for me, certainly. I think that when I was more intentional with my time and really, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I felt like it, it allowed me to operate at a higher level than I was previously. In all aspects, not just study more, yeah, but exactly. intentional with your reflection time and your time with others. Exactly. And yeah, sleep, obviously. Hobbies, cooking, reading, watching movies, you the, know. Yeah, like the more you take care of yourself, the more you are able to carry the, the burden of 
being vulnerable and having mm-hmm. people be vulnerable to you and these patients where you can't fix everything about them. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a great article. Uh, there's this blog that I read called The Happy Philosopher. He's a radiologist. talks a lot about burnout and about mindfulness. And he, um, like he's a, a part-time radiologist. But he just released this great article. talks about life after residency. And it basically is it's just like, look. I mean, everyone's saying, you know, burnout, burnout, burnout. But the reality is, and, you know, what is another... Uh, lecture on meditation going to do for for us or you know whatever all the all the kind of like checking the boxes like okay we lectured on this or we had this seminar check the boxes but i mean he essentially talked about strengthening the backbone of yourself like take it seriously like do meditation like do all the things that i'm kind of talking about here and i mean i'm not perfect by a long shot but um that is the backbone that's going to strengthen your ability to to function at high level as an attending as a person you know and as 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 opposed to otherwise, you know, if like having poor coping habits, you know, whether it's, I mean, it could be anything really, you know, but. What is uh, one thing you are reading, watching, or listening to that people should be up on? Uh, I'm really into the podcast uh, by called The Dry by Peter Tia. He's a, uh, I would highly recommend it to everyone, actually. He's a former cancer surgeon who left medicine for a while and he like went to Stanford and Hopkins and and now he just focuses on longevity, but he really, it's, it's been a paradigm changer for me. Uh, cause he brings on experts who talk about everything from intermittent fasting and physical fitness to like mindfulness to making better decisions. But he, you know, he'll bring on like these, I mean, he had, he knows some very powerful people like the Sid Hart, Hartha McCurgie who wrote Emperor of All Maladies. Like he has these, very impressive cancer researchers, diabetes researchers, fitness researchers, and he just talks with them for two hours. And then there's a random one that's like about music, like Rick Rubin, and who produced all these crazy bands. So it's a great podcast. Uh, that's that's I'm pretty into it right now. Well, Clayton, we just like to take a second and say thank you so much for you know being our guinea pig and just being our first guest for this podcast. Uh, you were excellent and like. Like most of these topics, we won't have the answer for it, but just being able to discuss this um, is really what it's all about and being in community and being able to share what we're experiencing because we we go through a lot, whether med students, residents, doctors, and if we're not able to keep it all to ourselves, carry the weight of all these different patient struggles and just keep it all to ourselves. So thank you for sharing and being open with us. Absolutely, yeah. It's a pleasure. And that was Clayton Corson. Thank you for being the first guest of our show. We just want to take a moment to introduce our team. I'm Zach Beavis, third-year medical student at Creighton University. And I'm Cooper Nagaki, also a third-year medical student at Creighton. We just want to have a special shout-out for Amy Yardwungen for her amazing artwork. And Brayden Olson for his incredible music. Father Kevin for all his technical mastery. And to you, our listeners, for joining us on this episode. We look forward to sharing with you guys next time.